And we are going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus today. That's why we gather today. That's why we gather every day. But today's special. And that's the reason why Bruce, Kyle, and I all wore coats. Because last week I wore a t-shirt. And I'm going looking forward to go back to a t-shirt next week. Because it is. I actually turned the air down in case you got cold. It's my fault because I'm on fire up here. All right. As the kids are on their way out, I would love for you to grab your Bibles or digital device and head to the book of Ephesians for me. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. If you're not completely familiar with the Bible, not completely familiar with where to find the book of Ephesians, it is in the New Testament. And it's in the back half of your Bible. It's the 10th book of the New Testament. You're going to find the Gospels first, the stories that talk about the life, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, as well as after that, what Pastor Bruce just read from, you'll find the book of Acts. After Acts, you get into these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, some for encouragement, some for correction. Ephesians falls into those letters. And as we're looking at it, we'll see that he is writing from a time of encouragement, encouraging the people, as we've been talking about for the past five weeks, that they are made worthy in Christ. They are made worthy in Him because we are not worthy on our own. As a matter of fact, we are made worthy by the grace of God. As we continue in the book of Ephesians throughout the rest of the school year and into the summer, you will see a transition take place. And that transition goes, not only are we made worthy by the grace of God, but our response will be to walk worthy by the grace of God. And we'll start doing that around Memorial Day. Now you may have noticed as I've said the word grace multiple times. Kids, if you're in here on your note page, you'll see that it tells you the words that I say, mark it down. You're going to hear the word grace a whole, whole lot today. The word grace is our focus. And as we look at that, we're going to be looking at the, our, our, our theme for today. You, you've probably seen it on our posters. You've seen it possibly on the screen behind me, on the top of our website, on our social media pages, on the kids' note pages. We have stickers out there that we'd love for you to take and put on your water bottles or your, or your notebooks so you remember that this is by grace. Grace is a word that is used a lot in church circles. As a matter of fact, there's lots of churches around Albuquerque that have grace in their name. We have poems about grace. We have books about grace. We have songs about grace. As a matter of fact, probably one of the most popular hymns of our time, of all time, is about grace. It might not just be the most popular hymn of all time. It's probably one of the most popular songs even outside the church. It's a song about grace, and not just grace. Amazing grace. The passage we're going to look at today in Ephesians focuses on that amazing grace. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you and talking with you about it. But before we dive in, I want to take a few minutes to talk about this. To help us grasp how amazing that grace really is. Because I believe the word grace and the doctrine of grace is probably one of the most misunderstood words and doctrines in the Bible. And it's surrounded by misbelief. We don't quite grasp what it is. And I think we also need to lay down that foundation of why we need grace in the first place. Why do we need grace? And I guess we have to start with the question is, what is grace? What is grace? I mean, Christianity in and of itself, the gospel message that Pastor Bruce read is all a message about the good news of God's grace on his people. If we don't know what grace is, how can we truly understand the amazingness of this gospel message? 
Grace is an essential part of God's character. Grace is closely related to God's benevolence, His love, and His mercy. It can be, it can be defined this way. God's favor towards the unworthy. Or God's benevolence towards the un, uh, undeserving. In His grace, God willingly forgives us and blesses us abundantly. If you've been with us or seen any of the things we've talked about in Ephesians, that's what the beginning of the letter of Ephesians is. It's the blessings that we have because of God. In spite of the fact that we don't deserve them. And we don't deserve to be treated so well or dealt with so generously. I think to fully understand grace, we need to consider who we are without Christ and who we become with Christ. And Paul talks about that in our passage today. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. We talked about verses 1 through 7 last week, and we're going to kind of cover over a few of those things because it lays the foundation for how great and amazing this grace is. This is what it says in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. You heard these same two words in the passage that Pastor Bruce read, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This as you'll see, again, includes last week's sermon, but it sets a foundation of why we have such a need for grace. And that need is found in the first three verses that we read. So let's look at them again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under the wrath, as others were also. Now, I'm not sure if you grasp the language that's being used here. The word there is dead. Dead. We are dead. Not to be confused with Miracle Max from The Princess Bride, mostly dead. We are dead. We are not just sick in need of a little bit of rest and a little bit of medicine before grace we are dead in our trespasses before grace. We are enslaved to the ways of this world. We live in rebellion against God. We live in the desires of our flesh. Guess what? We do whatever we want to do because our emotions say to do it. We are controlled by uncontrollable desires. And because of it, we are by nature children under the wrath of God. And we talked about that last week, but that leads to this fact. We are condemned to eternal separation from God, and that is hell. 
But it's not just in these three verses that we just read that tells us this. It's throughout the Bible. The Bible tells us we were born into sin. We are guilty of breaking God's holy laws. We are enemies of God and we deserve death. We are unrighteous and we didn't have the, a way to justify ourselves. Spiritually, we're destitute. Spiritually, we're blind. Spiritually, we're unclean. And as this passage says, spiritually, we are dead. Our souls are in risk of everlasting punishment. Now, this is, or hopefully, in your story, was life before God's grace invaded our lives. And that's when we see those two words. Those two words we focused on last week and another two words we're going to look at again today. But God. The two great words that change everything. And then... After he says, but God, Paul lists these amazing traits of God. He says, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us. God's grace enters our lives. And when it does, here's what happens. We are made alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. I mean, do you hear that? While we were dead in our sins, while we were in complete and total rebellion against God, without the desire to even move closer to Him. Any parents in here have kids that are that way? Everybody, anybody been a kid that was that way? Complete rebellion against that authority figure, and there's no way I'm going to move. Well, the difference here is, we weren't even able to move. But yet, He made us alive in Christ. And he, it says here next, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. That is the amazing grace that saved a what? You know what the song says? A wretch like me. A wretch. Do you know what a wretch is? Any cat owners in here? I wouldn't raise my hand either. It's okay. Um, if you're a cat owner or even a dog owner, you know that sound. It generally happens about 2 o'clock in the morning and it wakes you straight up out of bed. As a matter of fact, they had that as an alarm clock. That would be a great thing to wake up to every morning. That I'm not going to do it. It's Easter. That noise, though. You know that wretch, that disgustingness. And that is what the song and the Bible says that we are. But because of amazing grace, we are saved from that. That's an awesome thing to think about. Verse 6 says, He also raised us up. This is what He's continuing to do with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. And He took me from the graveyard, that dead, to the King's table. That's quite a transformation. So that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. By grace. Who you were before grace and who you are now because of grace. But God. He brought grace. We deserve punishment by grace, He gave us forgiveness. We deserve the consequences of sin. By grace, He shows us mercy. We deserve wrath. By grace, God gives us comfort, and not just comfort, but also a cure. We deserve hell. By grace, God gives us salvation. We deserve misery. By grace, God gives us hope. We deserve guilt and shame, but by grace, God gave us glory and honor. We deserve damnation, but God gives us Deliverance by grace. I'd go on a list. But each and every one of those things that we've been saved from and saved to all have one thing in common. It all happens by God's grace. What an amazing thing to celebrate even today 
that God extends His favor to us. That grace that He gave us is what saves us. Grace is the essence of the gospel. Grace is victory over sin. Grace gives us eternal encouragement and a living hope. Paul repeatedly identifies grace as the the primary reason why he became an apostle, why he was called to be apostle. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. Here's something we need to also understand about grace. The Bible repeatedly calls grace a gift. Because it's not something that we can earn, and it's not something that we even deserve. Probably the best biblical definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. The gift that is given and the act of giving it have nothing to do with who I am or what I've done. It's all because of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible is quite clear that we don't deserve it. It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I use this verse often, but it says, God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion against Him, Christ died for us. And generally I stop there, but just a, a verse later in verse 10, it says this, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How amazing is that grace now? Why is it so important to know that God's grace and its results are a gift? Well, let me share a a personal story to answer that question. When I was in high school, I was a part of a youth group, and the youth group uh, was a part of a program called Evangelism Explosion. Some of you may have heard of that over the time. It's a a big outreach tool in order to to teach you and walk you through how to share the good news of God's grace to someone. And it would give you this basic outline. And in the basic outline, you always started off with just conversation. Get to know somebody's story. And as you get to know somebody's story, what you do is you transition into a question. And this is one of the two important questions of Evangelism Explosion. It says this, Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today and stand before God, would He let you into His heaven? Or is that something you're still working on? When you'd ask that question, almost every time I asked it, the answer I would get was, well, it's something I'm still working on. It's something I'm still working on. And so taking that answer to that question, you transition to a second question. The second question was this. Well, if you were to die today and stand before God and He'd ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And you know what 99% of the answers were? I'm a good person. I follow the Ten Commandments, which I always thought was hilarious because if I said list the Ten Commandments, I'm not even 100% sure I'd get 10 out of 10. And, and they would say, oh, I fall, I'm not as bad as that guy, those evil people of history. I, I'm, I'm okay. And as you began to look at that, you started thinking, well, what do you mean exactly? How is that coming in to practice? And you say these words, and this was a scripted phrase. The answer you gave to that first question made me think I have some good news for you. But when you answer that second question, I know I have the greatest news that you've ever heard. And the greatest news that you ever heard is that heaven is a free gift by the grace of God. And then you go into explaining that, you say the grace of God comes into clearer focus when we look at the depravity of man or the condition of of man. And that's exactly what Paul does in Ephesians in those first three verses in Ephesians 2. 
He showed the, the condition of man and how that state of man amplifies the grace of God. Because even if you think you're really good, are you? Even if we think we're really good, are we? And this was an illustration I used for Disciple Now for the kids last week, um, but one that, that I learned in, in Evangelism Explosion. But it basically said this, Describe for me what a good person would be. Who could be considered good? And the answer was basically, well, would somebody who sinned only three times a day be a good person? Of course, you have to define what sin is. Sin is any thought, action, or attitude against God's will. Would somebody who only did that three times a day be a good person? Some of you have already done it three times before you know you even woke up this morning. Okay, And so somebody who does it three times a day, that would be a really good person. So if we're going on the fact that we are good people, let's do a little bit of math. Because in a year, there's 365 days. Because I'm not a good mathematician, we'll say some of those days you only had two sins, and we're going to just make it an even thousand. You had a thousand sins in a year. Well, the average male lives to 72 years old. Women live longer because they're smarter. But the, the reality in it all is that if you live 72 years and you commit a thousand sins a year because you're a really good person, how many sins are now on your record? 72,000. Now, I'm not sure about you. I don't always drive the best. But if I had 72,000 traffic violations and I went to a judge... Do you think he's going to say, you're a good person? You're good to go. No worries. Think about that as we continue, because what happens is, is God sent His Son to take our sin to bring us eternal life. Because when we bring those 72,000 to the ultimate judge, He's not going to say, hey, you're a good person. And He did it by grace. Which brings us to our passage for today. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you are saved... By grace. Now, you may have seen that already because it was in verse 5. He's repeating it. Why do we repeat things, parents, to our children? So they get it. So here's where we're at. He's repeating to remind us to say, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, here's the funny thing about these two verses. If you grew up in church there's a pretty good chance you had to memorize these verses. And the reason why you memorized them is probably because you wanted bucks so you could go to the prize store. Or you wanted to pass your verse test in Awana. Or you just needed some sort of incentive to say these verses to your leader so you could get something. And it's great to know these verses. It's great to know these two particular verses. However, it's better to know the truth of these two verses. Not just know about grace, but to know grace. To experience grace and what these verses actually mean. Because our minds tend to, as humans, revert to this type of thinking. I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. And that is the the common thought, even including getting to heaven. And the people, the humans, that Paul is talking to at Ephesus are the same type of people and humans that we have today. People who think they can do it on our own. But Paul is trying to make it very clear that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Not as a result of good works so that God alone gets the glory. 
And really what I want to do is I want to, to focus on these last couple of, of points that are found here in this verse. Really, five key points within this passage, some of which we've already touched on. But they're listed up here on the screen. You have saved, you have grace, you have faith, you have gift, which is opposed to works, and you have God's glory, which is opposed to my glory. And it starts off with, you were saved. You were saved. Now that is a word that Christians use a lot. The problem is, is that people outside of the church have no idea what that means. And I honestly believe that people inside of the church, many don't know what that means. What does it mean to be saved? And even more so, what are we saved from? Why are we talking about, hey, I got saved? From what? Why? What was it all? And we mentioned it earlier, the answer, that we are children under the wrath of God. Why are we under the wrath of God? Because we have rebelled against God. When you think about it, we mentioned it last week, but we have committed high treason against the king who's on his throne. We've tried to take that king off his throne and either put ourselves on it or put one of our idols on it. And that punishment for high treason, even in the kingly days of, of England and such, it was always the same. The punishment for high treason is death. It is death. And as we begin to look at that, we can't lessen down the, the, the impact on that. We can't try and water it down. The truth is we deserve death. But the great thing is, is that that makes our grace shine that much brighter. It makes it shine that much brighter. It really brings it into focus. It makes it that much more amazing. Let me go back to our story about having three sins a day. Let's just say that you had those 72,000 sins. And the thing that separates us from God is our sin. So let's imagine this book here. Let's imagine this is a book of our life. The front page is our birth certificate. The back page is our death certificate. And everything in between is everything that's happened in our life, including those 72,000 sins. Now those 72,000 sins, as they are recorded, are on us. And we go to that judge. The judge who is the king. The judge who is God. And we say, hey, I'm a good person. But the problem is, is this is getting in the way of a relationship that should be like this. And he says, the punishment for this is death. The punishment for this is we sit in that courtroom, you've been judged to death. But in the back of the courtroom, there's a guy back there. His name's Jesus. He says, hey, I'm going to take those and I'm going to put them on me. So he takes our sin, puts them on himself. That's what we celebrated on Good Friday. He went to the cross, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, and he died for those sins in order to make me have his righteousness. I am now clean. I don't have that between me. And God and I now can have a relationship. That is the grace of God in action. That is the but God. We are saved from the punishment. Next word is, is by grace. We've already said it, but it bears repeating. I didn't do anything to earn it, and I definitely didn't do anything to deserve it. That's why it's called grace. Remember God's, or the, the definition of grace? It was God's unmerited favor. Anybody use the word unmerited in their regular conversation? Yeah, neither do I. So I had to look it up. And you know what it says? Not deserved. It's God's favor that I don't deserve. And as I begin to look at that grace, I have to realize I didn't do anything to earn it. Because if I did, it's not grace. 
If God owes it to you because you think you're a pretty good person, you've tried to do the best you can, guess what? It's not grace. If God gives it to you because He foresaw that you would believe in Him by your own free will, it is not grace. Grace means you get the opposite of what you deserve. You deserve God's wrath because you have sinned against Him. Instead, He saves you by His grace. That is what we are saved from. That is what it means to be saved. Grace, though, cuts directly against the grain of human thinking. You know why? Because human thinking always bases things on fairness. If you have children or have ever been a child, you've probably said these words at some point in time. It's not fair. It's not fair. Because we base all that we do on, well, if I have a positive choice, there should be a positive consequence that comes with it. And if I make a negative choice, there should be a negative consequence that comes with it. I taught my kids that growing up. And when we look at that, we say, that's the way it should be. But when we make a negative choice and we get a positive consequence, that's when we cry out, that's not fair. That is not fair. But the truth of the matter is, if God were fair, we'd all go to hell. If God were fair, we'd all go to hell because we've all sinned. God didn't compromise His righteousness or justice to forgive us. You see, there was a, there's a law in place. His justice demands that the penalty for our sins be paid. It's either by us or by Christ. Well, Jesus paid the price on the cross for all that trust in Him. So in that way, God can both be the justifier and also be just. Someone actually has rightly described grace this way. G-R-A-C-E. That is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We naturally want to resist that though because we think we can do it on our own. Because it comes down to our pride. I can do it. But let me tell you this right here, right now. There is no other way to salvation. It is by grace alone. But we also have to understand that word faith. Faith. We are saved by grace, but we trust in that grace through faith. Faith is simply defined as this. It is trust, it's reliance, or dependence upon someone or something. That is where we find ourselves. In the case of eternal salvation, faith is the wholehearted acceptance of the fact that God says what He says is true, and that the gift of salvation is exactly what He promised. That's what we see here. Of course, faith into, into salvation isn't just believing in something, because we all believe in something. It's being specific about what we believe in. There's a specific content. The facts that we know is true, and the truth about putting it and applying it to our lives. That is faith. Paul actually sums it up well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-5. through 5. He says, Now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you've taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. The grace of salvation is listed right there. It's amazing. And it's received when God opens the blind eyes of people so they can see the gospel. Enabling them to understand his claims and accept the promise of forgiveness to everybody who believes. When the dark veil of death is is lifted from our hearts, our minds are then open to see faith and put it in Christ for the death 
of our sins, His burial, and His resurrection to defeat that death. This faith, apart from any works, is the only way to enter into an eternal relationship with an eternal God. We enter enter into that relationship with the Father through the Son by the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. That is where we find ourselves. And Paul makes sure to let everyone know, just so there's no confusion, that it's a gift. It is a gift. Not received as a payment for works. See, if we work to try and get something, it's no longer a gift. It's a payment. You know what Romans 6.23 tells me about my works and what I get? It says I earn death. So I earn death, but the gift of God, the grace of God is eternal life. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians as he does in Romans. Listen to it again. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a God's gift, not of works. And in case if you're wondering, that word this is found there in verse 8. This actually ties together both grace and faith. That this is a gift, and it's talking about grace is a gift, and our faith is a gift. We have to understand all of it is a gift from God so that no one can boast. So that I can't say, look what I did. See, God initiated salvation for us because we were dead. I couldn't do anything to start it. God put the plan into place and He implemented it because I couldn't contribute anything to it. And He receives all the glory for it because I didn't do anything that I could take credit for. If, as Paul here proclaims, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone, well, guess what? That means there is hope for every sinner. doesn't matter how bad you are or how good you think you are. There's hope for every sinner. Salvation doesn't depend on you but rather on God who is mighty to save. Because if it did depend on me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't attain it. Today we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ who made this all possible. Let's be thankful today for what God has done. And if you've ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, praise God for it. But if you haven't, today's the day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work in each and every one of our lives. Thank you for the way you change us and make us into who you want us to be, even as we talk about next week, that you created us for good works, for your glory. But God, this morning, as we look at your grace, that you poured out on a wretch like me. God, I don't understand it. I definitely don't deserve it. I haven't done anything to earn it, even though I think I might have sometimes. God, it's not about me. It's about you and your glory. That you be lifted up. We praise your holy name this morning, God, for the grace that you shed upon us. And if there's anybody in here that's never experienced that, that's still trying their best to be a good person, God, I pray you speak to them. I pray you use this opportunity to glorify yourself and change their life for your honor. God, we pray this all in your name this morning. Amen.